This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Christmas is all about. Now I recognize that at every uh, every year, this is our call <laughs> to remember that Christmas is not about us being stressed out about our Christmas decor or our lack of presents. That's just to make some of you who haven't bought one thing yet feel good. But our call is to remember what this is all about. Have you ever been, though, in a bad place in your life, like um, you have like a major problem going on and you have, maybe you're like me and you've prayed things like this, God, if you will just answer this one prayer, I will never ask for anything else. Has anybody else been there before? Some of you who are now married people, when you were single, you prayed that prayer kind of funny now, isn't it? <laughs> if you send me somebody, God, I, I will put my hands up like this in church every week. I will clap on the beat. And then when you got married, I mean, if you were anything like Dave and I, we had a bit of trouble having kids at first, so I remember praying prayers like, if you will just send me a cute little baby in a manger, I will even have that baby in a stable. Which now after having four children, I can't believe I prayed that prayer. And then it kind of gets worse because it doesn't matter whether you're single or married. You, got, you know you're having troubles at work and you're very stressed because you got that one person that works. I used to have somebody who worked next to me that made a tuna melt every single day. I've been waiting to share this for a long time. And every day I would come home from the office, I would think, I cannot take the tuna melts. If you are a person here who shares an office with somebody, this is for free. I'm going to tell you this is going to change your relationships with all your people in your office. Stop making tuna melts. Yes, yes, I, 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 I applaud that, yes. Can we say that we might disagree about a lot of things, but one thing we do not disagree about here in this church is that nobody should make a tuna melt in an office, a small enclosed space, praise God. That's like the most amens I've ever got from you guys. I, well, I can remember, and you know when this, everything is stressful at work and now the small things really annoy you? Like, like you're trying to be godly, but the small things are just, and I remember thinking, God... Could you make a shortage on tuna? I cannot take another tuna melt. I need you to solve this problem. But God does somehow answer our prayers, inevitably. Because whatever you prayed for, obviously you're still here, so it didn't kill you. But, but so easily we forget these things, right? What inevitably happens to us is that no matter what our problem, and this is not to denigrate some of the problems that we do face, some of them are extraordinary and feel like mountains and truthfully are like mountains. But we have short memories as humans. 
the issue gets solved, and then somehow we forget that God solved that problem. Somehow we forget that we were like on the edge of like, I, I don't think I can like take it. This is the way of humanity. We are all prone to apathy and indifference when good things happen to us. And there's an actual term for this. It's called the negativity bias. Don't look at somebody who you think right away, they definitely have that. Uh, the negativity bias is our tendency not only to register negative stimuli more easily or readily, but also to dwell on these events. And it's also known as positive-negative asymmetry. And the negative bias means that we feel the sting of rebuke more readily than we feel when someone gives us a compliment. Like, uh, for instance, if I were to say, you don't look very good today, you would feel that. I'm not saying that to you today. As opposed to when someone says, hey, you look great today, you kind of just go, yeah, 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 whatever, you're just saying it. This is the negativity bias in most humans. All humans are, in fact, prone to this. So it's not just your spouse that's prone to this. Uh, Danny Kahneman, who, was, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for economics, um, designed studies in which he, he gave participants, he asked participants to actually imagine, um, imagine if you were all given $50 today. And I was actually going to like work this out, but then I realized that when we look at what happened here, it wouldn't have mattered. So he, he gave 50 bucks to people, or he said, imagine getting 50 bucks. And then he said, now I want you to imagine losing $50. Do you remember when we used to have cash? You'd have cash. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Some of you don't even know this, this. But you'd go around Christmas time and get cash out. Did you ever, uh, did you ever find money in the snow? Do you remember that? My mom used to always tell us, when you get out of the car, what you're to do is look down. Because you never know when you're going to find 50 bucks. Okay, so... Now, you would think, now, I used to always think when I'd pick up the 50 bucks, the person who lost this 50 bucks must really, okay. The, the, the point of this test, though, what they found is that people were much, much, much more emotionally upset by losing 50 bucks. And they were kind of just sort of like ho-hum about getting the 50 bucks, which is why I didn't give you the 50 bucks today, because basically you weren't going to care anyways. But if I were to come and say, give me the 50 bucks out of your wallet right now, you would leave this church and never come back. That is basically what this tale tells us. And um, what it tells us is that this uh, is something that all of us, all of us have to kind of push against. And what does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. Everything it has to do with Christmas. You see, if you're trapped in a negativity bias, then you'll have a difficult time focusing on what the psalmist says, describes as the joy of our salvation. It's actually, I think, why in Psalm 52, David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because David was, was uh, dealing with the negativity bias. That God did save him, but it's easy to forget that. You see, salvation... Jesus, the story of the nativity, Jesus coming to earth in a manger should actually bring us this supernatural joy. <laughs> but if we're not careful, if we're trapped in a negativity bias, we won't see the wonder of the incarnation 
Instead, we will just mourn the fact that this Christmas, you have to spend four hours with your irritating relatives. I know none of you. These are for the people online. Only the people online have to deal with irritating relatives. You see, in some ways, Christmas should be called the great relief, the big relief. But our own negativity bias has led many of us to believe that it is the big stress. Now, it's one thing to talk about this, right? Like, we should all be relieved this Christmas. Okay, I'm going to let you go. It's another thing to actually uh, live that out. So the question is, how do we get out of the negativity bias that we are all so prone to become part of? How do we, how do we jolt ourselves out of that? Today, my hope is that we look at, as we look at scriptures, that it will remind us afresh and anew about our need for Jesus and the great relief that brings. But to do that, we have to go back to the beginning. Uh, this series is only two weeks, and we're, we're going to... Um, Today, look back, and then next week, we're going to look forward. So it's remembering Christmas forward. Um, you know, in the, I, all through the fall, I was studying the Torah. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you've ever started in the new year, like this year, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Oftentimes, people get stuck somewhere in Numbers, in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, because it's a lot of laws. Um, anecdotally in our society knows about the Ten Commandments, but in fact there are 613 commandments in the Torah. And this is important for us to know. We must understand and remember that in the beginning it was really hard to serve God. It was really hard. There were all these laws and there were all these ideas and um, let me just give you a few of them. Um, they covered everything from daily life, including family, personal hygiene, diet. Let me just read a few of them. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. Some of you are already in violation right now as you're sitting there in your polyester outfit. We were talking this week, like, if we were still living in the Old Testament ways, uh, there'd be no more lobster at your... New Year's Eve feast, say goodbye to your prosciutto wrapped around melon. Um, this would be a tragedy for those of us who like to eat. There are just so many laws, and it's easy to become overwhelmed by them. Uh, A.J. Jacobs wrote a book, The Year of Living Biblically, and if you want to read a funny book, you should read it. It's, it's, it's not a Christian book, it's just a funny book about somebody trying to follow all these laws. And what's funny about it is that it's so hard, like his whole life is turned upside down and he lives in New York City, which makes it even worse. Um, but this idea that we were once living under the law is important for us to remember every Christmas because Jesus coming changed everything. So the question becomes then, why did God give all these? Like, why didn't he send Jesus at the beginning? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why didn't Adam and Eve... They ate the fruit. God said, okay, Jesus, you're on now. Like, wouldn't that, like, just have been more efficient? But th there's a couple of reasons theologically why, why God actually uh, caused his people to, to, to live under the law. The first reason is that God needed to remind us that he is holy. That he is holy. He, he's actually, uh, th there's been a... 
a movement in the, maybe the last 20 or 30 years that I think uh, does a disservice to the church where we don't actually have the same kind of reverence for God anymore. It's a little bit like, like Jesus is my friend or my boyfriend or my homeboy or like this idea. And, and while Jesus is our friend, he is absolutely holy. And those 613 laws remind us of his holiness, that he is not like man. He is not like us in our finite way of being. He is infinite and requires holiness for us to come to him. If we're not overwhelmed by his goodness, by his holiness, uh, then we haven't yet met God. God is not a man that he has crafted in our image. If God looks just like you, with the same political views as you, with the same ideologies as you, it's probably not God you're serving, it's some version of yourself. So he, he wrote all these laws to remind us that he is holy. The second reason he had us live in these laws is because to remind us that it was impossible to be holy yourself. Like, actually, you were supposed to, like, try to live in the Torah and go, this, this, this is hard. So for the last number of months, our staff together, we've been reading, um, we've been reading the Bible together, and we were reading Judges. Now, if you've read the book of Judges, uh, you'll recognize that this is a little bit of a sad book, because every couple of chapters, they say, listen, nobody was doing the right thing, everybody was doing whatever they wanted to do, and Israel was a mess. Basically, that's the whole book of Judges all summed up. A few people did the right thing for a few minutes, and then they messed up. It tells the story of Gideon, who was used mightily by God, but then in the end, he just decided, no, nah, I'm going to serve some other fake God. What? You read it and go, what? And you want to kind of be haughty, like, if I was Gideon, it would have been a lot better. And then you realize, no, the whole point of the Old Testament is that you, you're to realize, no, 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 no. This, this reflects on me as well. This is antithetical to our culture, though, that says we as humans are getting better and better and better. And all you have to do is just look into your own divine, divine self, and you will be strong and courageous. I don't know. It's this foolish thing. In some ways, it's foolish because you recognize that if you really took a deep look at yourself, nah. And this is what the Old Testament does for us. It reminds us that there is no way for us to get holy by ourselves. If you've ever felt like you can't do it and you're not spiritual enough, great. You've actually got like a, a, a whole part of the gospel. The fact that we can't do it ourselves is biblical. Now, so that leads us with a major problem, yes? Because there's all these laws and God is holy and we can't do it ourselves. This leads us to a major problem because our lives are like a speck in light of eternity. So in light of eternity, the life you and I are living, the turkey you're going to make 10 days from now, 13 days from now, and by the way, there's a, like, some kind of like turkey shortage right now, so maybe you want to rethink that and have salmon this year. But that, yeah, tuna, there's always tuna melts. <laughs> oh, touche, my friend. But in light of eternity, the problem we have with coming close to God 
is astronomical. The biggest problem you will ever deal with in any part of your life is this idea that you can never be holy enough to get to God. This is the big, I don't care what problem you're dealing with, the largest problem you or I or anybody in the world will ever deal with is that our lives are specks in light of eternity. And if, if I want to spend my whole life with God, then I got to figure out how to bridge this divide. But we don't often look at the big picture like this, do we? As humans, we primarily think about what's happening right this second, right this minute. Or if we're like really forward thinking, we might have thought about what we're going to eat two weeks from now. But one of the Bible's primary jobs is to have you think about bigger and cosmic ideas. This is one of the Bible's uh, this, is the, this is why we have the Bible. If you come to church or you come to your personal devotions and are only thinking about the things right in front of you, then you have failed to let the Bible really do its work on you. And this is what the anticipation of Advent does for us. It pushes us. It forces us to remember the big things in life, the big questions, like how do I get right with God? Like how do I actually prepare myself, not just for the here and now, but for the eternity that I'm going to live in? At Christmas time, we get to remember why God had to send Jesus to earth to begin with. We get to focus on why this matters. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the, the, the enemy's greatest tool is to get us thinking about other things at Christmas. Like, I mean, even like moral things, like we're outraged that Christmas has become a materialistic time where Walmart is getting all the profits and Jeff Bezos is becoming a billionaire. I'm outraged. And again, I mean, you can have your outrage, I guess, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you want to put that outrage. But again, the point is not that we would think about the here and now, but the anticipation of Advent is that we would actually remember that God sent Jesus to earth so that I no longer have to live under the law, but I can live under the grace of Jesus. And this is what Advent is about. This is what the coming back and remembering is about. As a child, I, I actually couldn't understand why people said, Advent is a time of anticipation where we anticipate Jesus coming. I think that's so weird. Like, I have to pretend he didn't come? I, I remember thinking, like, why, why are we talking? We already know he came. Why am I pretending? Every, this is like Santa Claus all over again. It's very confusing to me. Truthfully, even when I became a pastor, I think I got to preach on this every single year for the rest of my life? There's only so many ways you can spin the tale. And then I recognize that what that remembering is, what that anticipation is, it's actually a call for us to remember what life would have been like without Jesus. To get ourselves out of that negativity bias and remember that the greatest thing that God did for us, I mean, God's going to do great things for you. I believe that he still heals, yes? 
I believe that he provides for us, yes? I believe that he will bring people into your life that you could never have done on your own. But the greatest single thing he did for us in light of eternity is send Jesus. The point of Advent is that we would remember that again, that we would anticipate, that we would actually sit in our own inability to fix things. So how do we go about doing that? This is why God called this people to be a remembering community. We're called to be a remembering people. The word remember is found 240 times in the Old and New Testament. God was continually calling his people back to remember who he was. Deuteronomy 6.12 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Over and over again in the Old Testament, God calls his people to remember this tale of Israel being brought out of Egypt. So the story goes like this. Israel, was, Israel were slaves. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years. And God brought them out through miraculous ways. It's funny to me, though, that over and over again in the Psalms, both the Psalms and other parts of the Old Testament, he says, remember that I did that. It's like a call that God knew that we forget. Like things, good things that God does just goes like right out of our heads. And all we can remember is there's no water in the desert. Moses, I'm so mad, send us back to Egypt. It was way better there. We sang that song, Egypt, this morning because it's a call to remember what God has done in our life. Advent is a call to remember what God has done. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, And you shall remember the whole way of God. That the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Isaiah 46.9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. The call to remember who God is. It's one of the most important things we can do at Advent. To remember who he is. To remember what he's done. To remember that this baby Jesus was sent not just as a cute little nativity scene on your front table. But it actually was, it, it transforms the way that we live our lives. We actually have to have deep and new revelation of that every year. If you just go through the Christmas season and it's just like you're just going through it. I'm, I pray every year, like, and this is a very earnest prayer I pray, God, would you help me to remember you in a new way? Would you help me to feel the burden of my own inability to make things right? Okay, so here are some things, if you're taking notes this morning, that you can remember. First thing is this. We remember that before Jesus came, the way to God was cumbersome and difficult. Cumbersome and difficult. It was difficult to come to God. It was difficult to be called the person of God. We were not called friends of God. We were called just like people trying to make it. And we, most of us didn't. You only need to read the Old Testament. I would encourage you this Advent season to read the book of Judges. It's a real Christmas joy, really, reading it. But we actually have to remember that. If you don't remember that, uh, the point of Jesus, it, it will never seem... Like, why did God send Jesus? What? Second thing we remember is that before Jesus, I was trying to do everything on my own. 
So I've had this revelation that Jesus is not a motivational speaker. I actually think that uh, 21st century evangelicalism has kind of turned Jesus into a motivational speaker, though. Like, hey, everybody, if you get a little bit of Jesus, you're going to be able to do it on your own. Just pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, and you can be a better version of yourself. The truth is, the gospel tells us that Jesus didn't actually come to make you a better version of yourself. He actually said, hey, you're dead. I'm coming to raise you to life. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I have never met a dead person who could raise themselves from the dead, the exception of Jesus. You were dead in your sins, but now you are alive in Jesus. Without the Advent story, we don't have that story at all. So we remember that it was difficult to come to God, and then we remember, we remember that we couldn't do this on our own. This is the gospel. And then we remember this, that the fact that God came to earth in human flesh should blow our minds. Just for a moment, I want you to close your eyes. I, I want you to think about the vastness of God. Today in priest service prayer, Gifty prayed this prayer that I thought was actually prophetic and profound. She said, God, would you help us to surrender our thoughts to you? And I just, all of our thoughts... I just had this idea that sometimes we come to church, right? And we've got, like, we're juggling. You're going to go to the market mall and try to, like, get your elbows up for a parking spot. And you got all these things to do. And I just thought, just in this moment, we just actually have to surrender our thoughts to God and say, God, would you give me, would you give me a vision of how big you are? How expansive you are. That the sun and the moon and the stars are subject to you <sighs> that every universe I, I know we have some people that study the stars here physicists who look into all of that it's, a, it's, a, it's astounding to me we can look at the vast expanse we can think of all and God is yet bigger than that and in his greatness he still looked at us he said, you know, I, I'm going to send myself, I myself, this is where we believe in a triune God, that he is God, that Jesus is God in flesh. I'm going to send myself, my son, to earth for these people. That thought should overwhelm us. We should actually be in awe of that. This, this is what Advent causes us to do. So God, I just pray that you would give us revelation of the absolutely overwhelming nature of your incarnation. Okay, so how do we remember? How, how, do, how do we actually go about remembering? This is what we should remember. How do we actually go? I, I want to encourage you, number one, to identify where you are. So what are you really focused on? Like until you figure out where you are, you can't figure out where you're going. So until I can say, you know what, I, I really want to be focused on Jesus, but mostly what I'm focused on is that all the ornaments are in the bottom of my tree where the children have put them on. Until I, or, or I, like I'm, I really want to be focused on Jesus and the incarnation, but what I'm really focused on is like I'm outraged by X, Y, or Z. 
Righteous anger can sometimes be, and it's not righteous anger, but sometimes we call it righteous anger, can be a distraction. Can be a distraction from the power and beauty of the incarnation. You are not called to set the world straight. That's, that's, that's Jesus' job. So where are you? Are you focused on the beauty and the wonder that you were once lost and Jesus came to make you found? Then I want us just in this moment to ponder our past. Remember where you were. Remember the Egypts that God brought you out of. Oh, think about those times where you're like driving on the deer foot saying, God, I need you to do this miracle. I need you to do this miracle. And you got tears coming down your face and you feel like you can barely make it. Like you've got that, that, that your chest is tight. Like Dave talked about, you can barely breathe. And God came through for you. Don't let your negativity bias this year keep you from being all that God has, has, has for you. Don't let that negativity bias, that like all the things that are wrong, keep you from experiencing the wonder of Advent, the wonder of the incarnation. And finally, I, I'm praying that you would pray along with me this season, that God would break on in on you with fresh revelation. I believe that every year we need fresh revelation of the incarnation. Like of the wonder. Listen, moms and dads, can I just speak to you just for a minute? Your children are not going to get a revelation of Jesus because you bring them to church. Your children are not going to get a revelation of who God is because you're a nice person. Because you don't swear and you don't give the middle finger to people on the highway. No child has ever said, I'm coming to Jesus because your children are going to get a revelation of God when you get a revelation of God. And they see that in your life. And, and I pray that that will happen here. But I also know that happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday when you get up and say, God, I need a revelation of who you are. I actually need to know that I was broken. And because you came, I, I'm like transformed. I'm not perfect, but you're, you're, you're growing me. Oh, we need a revelation of Jesus. We need a revelation of Jesus. We don't need to try harder to be nicer people. We need a revelation of Jesus. And then that revelation of Jesus transforms all of our actions. So this morning we're going to take communion. Uh, if you didn't get communion, now is your time. You just stand up and go get, um, go get communion up. Don't feel bad. Just go on and grab it. I think it's up at the top of the balconies. Oh, we've got some ushers bringing you communion. Yep. Communion is always very important. I particularly think um, during Advent, though, this is a time where we remember, where we remember that Jesus came. Without him, we are lost. I want you to hear the words of Paul that we often read at Communion. So he's talking, and Jesus, these are actually Jesus' words. I want you to hear them, though, with fresh ears. He said, this is my body, speaking of the bread. This is my body, which is for you. Do this, what? In remembrance of me. Part of the way we break the negativity bias in our life is we remember who God is, 
we remember what he has done for us. And for some of us, listen, some of you have dramatic uh, salvation stories. And, and, and this is why uh, sometimes it's easier to remember, right? Like if God saved you from the guillotine, well, it's easier. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you'll always remember. But others of us that have had God move in subtle ways in our lives, this, this is why these words of Jesus are powerful. Do this in remembrance of me. Just for a moment, you can take open that cracker. I want you just to hold it up. I want you to close your eyes now, and you're going to say, Jesus, would you help me to remember what you've done for me? Not just give mental assent. God, I'm praying that you'd bring things back to people's memory now that you have done for them, ways that you've taken them through. God, ways that you've brought healing to relationships. God, how you've healed anxiety. God, I pray that you would bring remembrance, God, of the miracle working power that you have done. And would you just thank him now for all the ways that he has, that he's sacrificed for you, that he's, all the things that he's done. Jesus, we remember you. We remember you. We thank you for your broke, your body that was broken for us. Just break that cracker together, would we? Thank you, Jesus. And we just receive it right now. We remember what you've done for us. Can we just take it together? then he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it what in remembrance of me we remember what God did for us his blood that not only didn't just cover our sins in the old testament theologically we believe that that the blood sacrifices covered our sins but the blood of Jesus was a better sacrifice the New Testament tells us he not only covered our sins he wiped our sins out and so we remember your blood that was shed for us Jesus thank you for coming at Advent thank you for coming to that manger so that your blood could be shed may we be a remembering community may we be remembering people who do not forget what you've done for us. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Can we take it together? Thank you, Jesus. So what do we do after we have remembered? Well, the natural thing to do is worship, is to adore Jesus is to actually come with heartfelt, not going through the motions, but actually have this overwhelming sense that God, you have both saved me and you continue to save me by your grace. By the way, just as an aside, we're saved by God's grace, okay? So your little dot life in the midst of eternity, we're saved by God's grace. But I wanna call you to be people that continue to live in his grace. Sometimes we get that mixed up, don't we? We get saved by grace, and then like we try to do all the good things. Like if I can only do fifty-seven thousand good things, and God will like continue to like me. This is not the way of the gospel. The manger is so amazing because God came and saved you by grace, but then He wants you to continue to live by grace. This changes everything. So just in this place, we're going to sing, "Oh, come, let us adore Him." And I'm going to ask that you would do this, that you would just for a moment shut yourself in with God. 
and really ask God to help you to worship. It's not about the song. It's not about. It's it's a posture of our heart that we would say, God, may we may we worship you. May we adore you. And may you bring us a revelation so that our worship would be worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.